Hello, Soul viewers. Big Ronnie here with another Soul Stay at Home series interview where we go into the artist's mind during lockdown, during pandemic. And wait till you get a load of the mind we're going to get into today. Today is the 23rd of May. This is week seven. We thank you for all of the support and the kind words that we've been receiving. It's been nothing but love. Uh, if we haven't spoken to you yet, why not? Shoot us an email. Reach out to our editor. Eric is waiting. Let's get something scheduled so you can be uh, on the hot seat just like our next gentleman, the Super Suck Lord. The seat is only hot because my ass is in it. That's why. Well, we'll get to your ass in a second. I've been doing my squats. Keeping it tight? With kettlebells. Keeping it tight, huh? Yeah, you know, it, it requires constant vigilance, but I've been making it work. All right, let's get you to say it on camera. Where are you uh, sequestered down? Where are you located? I am in my studio on Canal Street. Now, the studio, uh, as of late, has it been hosting many crazy soirees and packed houses like it used to? Of course not. And thank God for that. I, I, was, I was half thinking you were going to say, of course, well, I don't care about rules. Fuck rules, Ronnie. We don't believe in any of this. But uh, no, I'm Listen, glad man, it's like rules are neutral. They don't have any inherent good or evil. These rules are some pretty cool rules for a lot of reasons. And I'm not stupid. At the end of the day, I'm a practical person. I'm a pragmatist and I'm a survivor. And having a bunch of infected ass motherfuckers breathing on me in my own space is just, it's not an advisable course of action. So I'm just going to go with that. And to be honest with you, I don't miss half you motherfuckers half as much as I should have. And I miss less than half of you more than you deserve. I like it. I think that was a Groucho Marx, right? Original Baggins. Wow. Now, <laughs> I heard you talking about Tom Bombadil with J Corp the other day. Figures you'd be a Bombadil guy. Of course. A big, big, hairy, loud, bearded blowhard. Why and it's I completely irrelevant to the story. Well, that's why he didn't make the movies, and I get it, but that's what builds the whole environment, no? I don't know. I've just been rereading the text recently during the lockdowns, probably like my 10th or 15th time reading it. Haven't read it in a while. And the first section of the book is very strange by comparison with the rest. I mean, it was intended to be a sequel to The Hobbit, and, it, you know, the, the tone of The Hobbit is different than the, than the epic. Um, it was a little bit more of a children's story. I mean, albeit a very dark one, but it has this sort of twee, nursery rhymey kind of vibe to it. And that's how sort of Lord of the Rings starts with this sort of meandering, episodic series of inconclusive adventures. And the story doesn't really begin till they get to the Prancing Pony and meet Strider. And everything that sort of happens in between, like the Barrow Downs, it's a great chapter as far as a description of horror, but it's utterly pointless. And I'm just like sort of realizing these things now. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. You know, Bombadil was a character that he created separately from Lord of the Rings. It was just sort of like a character he created to make little nursery rhymes with for his kids. And he just sort of shoehorned him into the book. But he really doesn't play much of a role in the, in the events. And it has very little consequence. And it's a little outside of the tone of the rest of the book. But eh, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. 
Now, that, that leads me to my next point, which was I couldn't wait to sit down with you just because you aren't a rookie. You have some experience. You've been around. You're in New York long enough. You've seen some downturns. You've seen some shit. You know, how are you, uh, how are you thinking New York's going to come out of this? With a lot less douchebags, I hope. You know, I hope all these people that fled don't come back. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is comparable exactly to anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, it's a lot different than 9-11. I mean, people tend to refer back to 9-11 to make some sort of comparisons, but it's completely different in almost every way. But, you know, I mean, there's some people here that are just ride or die, born and bred and raised and established New Yorkers, and they are very good at surviving. I mean, there's a reason why rats and cockroaches are the fucking official animal of New York City, you know, and it's like that type of energy that's definitely getting me through. I'm a little bit more of a cockroach than a rat, per se, but, you know, people, everybody's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. This New York, the culture, the character, and the economy of New York City is much tougher than any sort of exterior circumstance of barring global warming. I think global warming is really the thing that's going to ultimately destroy New York or not. You know, New York could be, you know, 10 feet underwater and find a way to adapt somehow. So read my science fiction novel when it comes out. Now let, let, let's talk about, let's talk about the work that's going on now. Cause your, your work uh, is always out of left field. It's always, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say you're intentionally being provocative or just getting those demons out. Uh, however you want to uh, tell that story. But is it, you, are you affected by these types of, you know, world events? I know sometimes you pull stuff out of the headlines, but I don't really see you doing that as a MO. Uh, in this particular case, I have. I mean, to be honest with you, I, you know, I have to acknowledge the place of supreme privilege that I occupy. I mean, I've only been mildly inconvenienced by this whole thing. My money is still coming in. I'm still able to pursue my interests. I don't have any dependents or any real responsibilities other than just feeding myself and paying my rent and seeing to my own creative self-expression and fulfillment. So, you know, it hasn't really fucked me up at all. In fact, I've been thriving under these conditions, but you know, I can't not respond. I mean, I've, uh, how long has this been going on for? Like two and two and a half months. Yeah. And I've, the fir I've been putting out regular releases and the the first thing I did in response to this, I made a bunch of pandemic related toys. I made a bunch of action figures that are all just sort of like a survey of all the great diseases and pandemics throughout history, everything from plague doctors to SARS to Ebola. And I just made some action figures, you know, there's not a lot of commentary. It's just like, here's a SARS figure. And it's just a bootleg GI Joe figure with a fucking gas mask on. But, you know, it's sort of, gets to the point. I mean, there's been some, some chatter in the, in the toy blog world about how sort of like inappropriate it is to make light of people's suffering by, you know, profiting off of it and making artwork that presents any of these tragedies in any sort of cheeky or, you know, ironic way. And I, I understand that critique. On the other hand, I think it's also just as sort of problematic to not respond at all you know, to just act as if everything's fine and everything's normal. And, you know, sort of my way of dealing with these things is to kind of laugh at it in a sort of sardonic way. So, okay, we made all the fucking uh, 
Ebola figures, fine, that's out of the way. Then I did a toilet paper release, you know, which was fucking stupid, but you know, I, that's the stock and trade I deal with is capitalizing on people's stupidity. So I have this little action figure, a little uh, Keshi figure called Asswipe, which is basically just an anthropomorphic roll of toilet paper. So I just repackaged those and sold those and those were gone within an hour and I lined my pockets. And then the, the last thing I did in response to that that's been published is I did a whole series of um, uh, sentient in insect civilizations because, you know, when we were up in the depths of this thing, it was really starting, you're starting to see an empty New York City and it just got my imagining about what happens after New York, after people are gone you know, what's left of the world and what comes after. And I just sort of imagined that the insects would evolve and create some sort of culture and society. And I made a bunch of toys sort of like riffing on that. And it, of course, it just turned out to be a critique on human civilization. I did a lot of research on the brains of insects and it actually seems like it's doubtful that they're gonna create any sort of civilization that would resemble ours in any way. And it's almost impossible as a human being to create stories about non-human characters. As much as you try, they always wind up becoming just an analog for you know, human behavior. And so I, I succumbed to that, but nevertheless, I profited greatly and had a fun time. And now the series I'm working on right now is like after all that cynical shit, I'm thinking about the future and I'm imagining, I'm working on like a sexual utopia. Like what happens when this is all over and we come out of this and like what sort of healing takes place and what sort of like sexual revolution transpires after all this isolation. And I'm just envisioning, envisioning a world where just like sex is more spiritual and more accessible and more expressive. And I'm just sort of like immersing myself in that fantasy right now. Okay. So, so you're anthropomorphizing vaginas? No, I'm just making, I just riff on themes. You know, I just, sometimes the action figure itself is almost secondary to the idea. It's just of course. something that sort of represents it in some way. I'm just, I have all this cool scraps of leather and fabrics and all these exotic textures and colors. And I'm using that to dress the figures and I'm using like Dungeons and Dragons polyhedral dice for their heads. Cause I always use those to represent like, an expanded mind or expanded consciousness or third eye shit. You know, when the dice is like this, the head is like a dice with all these numbers and facets. It's sort of, I use it as a sort of shorthand to represent like higher consciousness. So I'm just doing that. And then I'm just riffing on, you know, all these like sort of retro future porn things and you know, like cafe flesh and stuff like that. It's fun. I mean, I have to, I'm keeping myself busy and that's what entertains me. I've been, I mean, I've been really watching what's going on with human sexuality and how it's responding to the crisis and looking at what's happening with OnlyFans and stuff like that. And I really truly believe that there's some sort of sexual revolution imminent and I want in on it. Yeah, but I, I, I'm following you and I think the sexual revolution is going to be a severe lack thereof. I think it's going to transition to digital, it's gonna to transition to non-touching, it's gonna to transition to safer options and alternatives, and I don't think that's your speed. No, I mean, it's not that it's not. I mean, I can incorporate those things, and in fact, I released my first pornographic film during, the, uh, during this uh, lockdown, and I intend to continue to do things of that nature, but 
you know, when you look to, eventually there's going to be a vaccine for this. Eventually science and reason will, will overcome this momentary inconvenience, you know, if you call death an inconvenience. But um, I think eventually people will be connecting again on a physical level, but I also think the digital aspect of it is going to increase. And now you're starting to see, much to the chagrin a lot of, to a lot of like lifetime sex workers and sex performers, this sort of touristy um, approach to on creating online sexual content. I mean, now a lot of unemployed professional women are turning to OnlyFans to, to monetize their nudes, people who would never have considered doing this before. And while on the other hand, I do understand why veterans would be kind of turned off or offended by this sort of behavior because they've the ones that really created the space and have been on the vanguard and absorbed all this, you know, the sort of negative repercussions of society. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be much more normal to just have nudes online. I mean, do you remember, you know, maybe not that even that long ago that if God forbid a naked picture of you leaked online somewhere, you were done. You got fired. You were shamed. Even if you didn't leak it yourself, just the fact that a naked picture of you existed on the internet somewhere meant that your integrity and your credibility was destroyed. And now people are leaning into it in the absolute other direction and monetizing it. And I think it's, it's not far away between from like uh, everybody having, it, having nudes available for sale. I mean, it's so interesting watching all these celebrities now selling naked pictures, which is incredible. I mean, there's a lot of artists that I'm following that I'm interested in. And if you're like already famous and now there's a way for people to see your tits, they'll pay big money for that. More so than somebody who's only a creator of, of explicit. Right. Now let's, let, let, let's explore that for just half a second. The, the, the paying big money is the question that, you know, I think we have to put into perspective because I'm still selling things online. The market, the economy is in a downturn. People are still paying big money for certain things. But I think your average person, super suck lord, is spending less. And what happens to, to that area of the industry when the discretionary income isn't there for uh, seeing, seeing some nudies or seeing some, some titty pics or whatever it is? Sure. I mean, yeah, I get that. And that's its, that's its own consideration. I'm just speaking more generally, you know, aside from the, the, the economic downturn, because no matter how terrible this so-called recession or depression is going to be, it's not going to last forever. It's eventually going to recover. And the thing, but the thing is, the, the, the human civilization progress will probably remain. Like if, if, if people, you know, when the recession is over, the depression is over, it's not like suddenly we're going to return back to the same sexual morality that existed before. Like once that taboo is broken, it's broken for good, at least for the foreseeable future. I so, think it's a couple of, a couple of uh, uh, years of high school graduates and young adolescents start getting weird ideas from society about what social contact is. I think that, that is a, another potential well, maybe that's good, you know? Maybe we are fucking a little too indiscriminate about who we touch and who we get close to and, and who we, you know, breathe on. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's good that there's a little bit more discretion there. I mean, again, I'm going to look, look to the porno industry. It's like, and it makes me so mad sometimes when people say fucked up shit about porn performers being dirty or you're going to get an STD. That's the 
nothing could be further from the truth. These are some of the cleanest, safest, most responsible people on the planet when it comes to monitoring their, their health. You know, be, you know, you, if somebody comes down, some person, a porno performer comes down with any sort of contractable disease, the whole industry shuts down. And these people are also going to be the first people that figure out how to do it in the, in the post-COVID age. You know, they're just going to add a COVID test to their, their biweekly STD screens. And that's it. And maybe we should be a little bit more careful. I mean, not only just physically, but psychically too. You know, I, I got to say, I am not suffering at all from the loneliness at all. I mean, just having to clear out all the noise and the people and the talking and the coming and the going and the rah, la 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 all that shit is gone and it is so relaxing and so peaceful. And I'm going to be very selective about what I add back in when things start to open up. You know, I am not going back to normal in any way, shape, or form. This but normal doesn't, normal doesn't apply to you, you maniac. What do you, you mean? I mean, I have a normal. You have a stripper pole in your studio. I know that. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, but I have a normal as far as like how I live. I have a baseline lifestyle, and right. I'm not going back to that. I know I'm not normal. Thank God for that. You know, and I feel bad for all those other people. You know, now, a lot of people are telling us, I, I'd say 30 out of the 35 oh, interviews we've done are so so, so far, they've all said, this really isn't a big deal to me. I like being left alone to play my music and create my art. Yeah. So, but I always saw you as someone that was, you know, th thrived a little bit from the, the, the mania. I do. I definitely do. But it's also nice to get a, a pause from it as well. You know, I mean, I was, I think as I was already sort of going in this direction prior to the lockdown, I had already decide canceled or decided to opted to decline doing regular events that I had normally done year in and year out. I just felt like my life was just exceedingly cluttered and I wanted to just take it all apart and, and review it before I reassembled it. And this has given me a perfect opportunity to do so. And, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I like the rah, 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 but I mean, I want it to be curated rah, rah, rah. I want it to be, you know, I want to up, up it a little bit. I don't want it to be so chaotic and random. I want it to be a little bit more curated. And See, I never saw you as the guy, you know, the guy behind the, pay no attention to the man behind the curtains type of person that just pulled all the strings. I saw you more as the DJ in your scene. Yeah. You know, sure. Someone that's setting the vibe. Yeah, yeah, but I'm also the guy behind the curtain too. You know, it's like I go behind the curtain, I set everything up, then I come in front of the curtain and I'm like, hey, look at me. And then I go back behind the curtain and do some more machinating. So this has really just been an extended period of machinating. And I have not been idle as far as this, like, you know, the front of the curtain type shit. It's more like I've just been doing a lot of R&D and I've filmed a few things that. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's just, it's a great opportunity to reimagine stuff. You know, and it's like, I don't want to spread myself too thin. It's like right before this started, I was, I had overcommitted myself to all these fucking things that were just going to make my life very complicated and very difficult. Just all these responsibilities and obligations and things on my calendar and just all just big shit that was going to tax me to my, to my limits. And it all got taken away. And it's like, what a gift that was. What a gift that was. I was going to do this big thing for pride and 
thank God. I mean, I feel bad that it was canceled. And again, I, I, it's like, like I said, I'm privileged enough to benefit from this when people are fucking dying and losing and going bankrupt. So I don't want to ever lose sight of that. But thank God fate intervened and stopped me from like taking on this ridiculous responsibility that was going to just drive me insane. And I'm not in any rush to get back to any of that shit. It was a big project that you were about to take on? Yeah. And like, like usual, it was like bigger than what I was capable of doing. You know, and I was just going to figure it out and I was going to crash bang my way through it by the seat of my pants and stress myself the fuck out. And I don't need that. I don't need to do that ever again. Now, let's get back to lining your pockets with ass white money, because I thought that was well put. Um, talk, talk to me about um, your, 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 you as a business. You know, what are, you, what are your revenue streams looking like? Are, you, are we commissioning? Are we going through uh, pure toy sales on the website? Uh, are, we, are we custom? Oh. Like what, what is the, what's the fun stuff these days besides the porn? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I'd much rather just do the porn full time, but I'm not there yet. So I have to still make figures, but I guess maybe I'm, I have a one or two layers of protection, you know, because a lot of the people that have already been buying this stuff are the type of people that have disposable income. And some of these people have managed to maintain their jobs, you know, because they work in industries where they can work at home or whatever. You know, I mean, the people, the people that were already collecting my stuff already had a little bit of extra money, so they're not devastated. And also, they're sitting at home bored with nothing to do. And that's how people entertain my, themselves is by buying stuff online. So I've been relatively cool with that. And then uh, I, had a, I had people from China commissioning work for me. I sold like fucking $3,000 worth of things to some guys in mainland China. I got some people in Taiwan now that want to do the same type of thing. I mean, I'm getting inquiries all the time for custom work and commission stuff. And I'm just going to go with that for as long as I can because, you know, it could end at any, any day. So I'm just going to sort of take it all while I can because, you know, eventually if the economy really, really goes down the fucking toilet, you know, it's going to affect everybody. And I'm just sort of trying to just like get ahead of it. I mean, it's funny though, because sometimes I tend to like, when society goes down, I go up. Like the last time... The economy crashed 2008 2009 that's when like my first real bump came you know i had been making toys for about four years and 2009 was like a year when it suddenly when i quit my day job you know where i was able to finally do it all full time and that was like when the economy was cratering so i don't know why that is but that seems to be the way it is so i'm just gonna i'm gonna just count my blessings and get my racks while the racks are still there, and then we'll see what happens later. You know, I sold $2,500 worth of garbage a couple weeks ago. You know, like, it was like somebody, one of my big, big benefactors who I send crates of shit to on the reg found like a miscellaneous sock in a box or claims to have found a, a weird sock in in one of the boxes I sent him. Cause I often include ephemera in his things, you know, just like detritus and effluvia and random, you know, byproducts of my work. I throw it in there if it has some significance. It wasn't my sock. I don't know where it came from, but man, it got so much chit chat. People had nothing better to do than speculate on the origins of the sock. People were making action figure tributes of the sock. 
I'm like, well, if you guys are so fucking fascinated with my trash, here it is. So, so I cleaned my house and I cleaned my studio and I curated 25 custom boxes of garbage. It wasn't just any old garbage. It was, you know, it was branded garbage. And I sold them all for a hundred bucks and they went in like an hour. It's the weirdest fucking thing ever. But you're, you're the weirdest fucking thing ever. And I think that's why people want to get close to it. So how do you, how do you, how do you manufacture more garbage to sell? Well, I mean, that's the type of thing you can't do it all the time. I mean, I, I, it wasn't the first time I sold my garbage. Like somebody paid me 200 bucks. Maybe this must've been 10 years ago, 200 bucks to just walk out of here with the hefty bag in my garbage can full of whatever the fuck was in there. So I already knew people were weird like that. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, on one, it's like there's levels to this. You know, it's like on one hand, it seems just like stupid and like a, just a cynical cash grab. And it is. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, if you look at it from a different point of view, I've always portrayed myself as an unserious person. You know, but I know that there's people that do take what I do seriously and they do think that something significant and, and important and relevant is happening here. So getting access to a little bit of the sort of behind the scenes act aspect of it, I guess people put value on that and, and I'm not gonna knock them for that. It's, it's, I'm blessed that I have fans that actually think enough of me to think that my waste has some merit to it, you know, like, I don't want to, I hate comparing myself to Andy Warhol, but you know, the comparisons are there, you know, I mean, he had all those weird boxes of shit that he put in his storage. It had some really fucking miscellaneous shit in there and people love seeing that stuff. I mean, I put some fucked up shit in some of the boxes. I put like a well-used butt plug. I put used condoms in there. I put my cum rag in one of them, you know, I don't know. You want it, you can have it. You know, I don't want to, I got, you got to give the people what they want. Now, but you're giving people exactly what they don't want in a lot of ways, because you're, you're actually making a mockery of marketing to begin with. You're marketing things that would never be products, even in their own worlds and galaxies and nebulas and stuff. So why does it work then? Why do people keep buying it? Oh, I'm not knocking it, brother. I'm, I'm saying you are an enigma in the way that you, 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 you say it's, it's, some people call it a cash grab, which it is, but on the other hand, it's logical and it makes sense and it makes me feel good for doing it. Like you're, you're the whole thing. You're almost the, uh, the yin and the antithetical yang to your own fucking bullshit. Maybe. I mean, I feel like I've come more into balance recently. I mean, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I put a lot of thought into those garbage boxes i mean you'd think i just ah fuck you ah, but like there was they were well curated boxes you know i made sure everything that i was putting in there was fairly distributed you know like and that you know that there were actually some hidden treasures in there i mean and that's the thing i think that conveys a lot of my so-called public persona you know it's like it looks like bullshit and then you go deeper and you find the significant meaning. And then under the significant meaning, there's a lot more bullshit. And then if you go through that bullshit. Well, then you're, then you're what there. What are you going to find? Are you, are you still collect? Are you still your own biggest collector? You collect? Oh, you, I don't collect my own stuff. I never do. I never no, no, no. You told me that you had a one or two of every one of the pieces that you had. You had no, no. Made. I have an archivist who has all of that stuff, but I sell it to him. 
So it's not in my personal collection. I mean, I know it's the, 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 the entirety of my work is, is entrusted with somebody that I know is going to take much better care of it than, than I would. You know, because for me, there's always the temptation to sell it when things get tight. So I have somebody that has two of everything I've ever created, and he's the one that's sort of entrusted with it. And But in that, I don't personally collect my own shit. I mean, everything is up for cannibalization. I mean, like, I even have my own sort of toy collection in my house. And if something on that shelf suddenly seems like I need to chop it up for something, then I'll then I'll do that. But, you know, it's... Yeah, all that shit's going. I've been taking photos of all the one-offs. I'm, you know, I'm really inclined to put some books out in the in the in the, in the near future. Because what, uh, what are you doing for food in the neighborhood? Are your regular spots still there? Yeah, everything's fine. I mean, I don't know what it is about New York City. It's like I've not been lacking for toilet paper. Haven't been lacking for food. You know, I go shopping late at night. There's like a little, uh, a little Korean spot operated by Mexicans, God bless them, you know, that has everything I need. And I go there at like one o'clock in the morning, it's empty, put the gloves, put gloves on, put a mask on, get my shit for a week, and then I fucking go home. And it's like, I'm eating like simple food, fish, vegetables, pasta. I haven't been drinking, been smoking minimal weed, and I've been exercising every day, and I've been practicing piano and doing my work and cultivating my chi and working on my behind the scenes stuff. Speaking of, did your workout, you say you work out every day, did that have to change now that you're a uh, on-camera personality, shall we say? What do you mean? Your, your, your recent, <laughs> recent porn movie. It's a, it's, a, it's a consideration. I mean, I'm already fairly vain. And even before I even considered, you know, doing porno, which is still under development. So I don't want to over speak about what that's going to be. But, you know, I always had intention of returning to television and I have been developing a pitch for a show. So I always thought like, I have to do the best I can to look as good as I can. That's one of the reasons I stopped drinking. I haven't had, I have been sober for five months. 50% of that was I was just making an utter fool of myself, you know, getting drunk and just talking loud and oh, promising shit and forgetting the whole th conversations and just spending time with people I didn't necessarily want to spend time with. And the other 50% of it was that it wasn't making, I wasn't, didn't like the way it was affecting my body. You know, it was fucking my face up. It was fucking my body up. And I just was hung over all the time. I didn't want that. So, you know, it's like, my thinking is if I can, maintain some level of whatever the fuck I've held on to, you know, as far as my youth is concerned, if I can milk that for another 10, 15 years and really get what I want to get out of television and pornography and using myself as the product, then I can turn into a fucking goblin and I don't care. You know, that's only, only 15 more years. Well, I'll be 65 in 15 years. And that's what they consider retirement age which really doesn't mean anything. But I mean, you know, I try to at least guide my life by some general post, you know, signposts. It's like, I sort of projected how long I think I'm gonna live. And then I just figure like, at this point in my life, I'd like to have achieved this. At this point in my life, I'd like to achieve this. And I sort of arrange them 
by importance to correlate with how, how I think I'm going to feel and look. Like, I, if I want to be on television and I want to make pornography and I want to be an actor or a performer, I should do that stuff now while I still have some semblance of a face left. And then after that's all done, you know, when I get older, you know, when I'm in my 60s and my 70s, I expect to still be healthy and feel good. I might not look the same, but then I can go behind the camera and I can do stuff that doesn't require me performing, you know, I can direct the action, you know, from behind. You know, there are older roles for older actors. Yeah, I know, I know that. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do that. I just feel like if I want to like break in or further establish myself, it's always better to do it when you're younger, you know, and I'm 50 years old talking about being younger, but it's like, you know, it's, it's just a matter of practicality. It's just like, yeah, I could probably, be an actor when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, but I'll have probably have a better shot at that if I've already been an actor, you know? Like I get, I'm in SAG, I get royalty checks from when I was on the Goldbergs, and boy, do I like that. So, I don't know, I'm working on a reality show right now. It wasn't just Goldbergs that you were on TV recently, was it, um, I don't wanna miss, I don't wanna say the wrong name. What was the other show that you were on with a couple of women? Gallery girls? Yes, thank you. Reality TV doesn't pay residuals. Oh, I didn't only, know that. Only, only, or in, in, in certain cases it does if you're a celebrity or you created the show. But if you're just a contestant or a guest or on, on those shows, that, that's, you don't, you're not, that's not technically acting. So you don't get into the actors union. It was only when I went on the sitcom that I got that I got into SAG and got the and started getting the royalty checks, which aren't great. I mean, the biggest one I got was a grant when it first came on. And then sometimes I'll get a check for 65 cents. Sometimes I'll get a check for $65. Sometimes I'll get a check for $300. But I mean, imagining if I if I'm on a couple more shows that go into syndication, that's an income right there. Sure. I can only imagine the kid who's the star of that show, how he just sits there and just checks show up. You know, when like Nick at Night picks that shit up, forget it. Forget about it. You don't have to work again. Well, Suck Lord, this, is, uh, this has been, as usual. What, it's fucking over? Yeah, 35 minutes, man. We, we can talk all day. People got the intention spans and nets. Well, nobody's going to watch this anyway. Are they? With an attitude like that, they might not. I mean, I'm just wondering, like, who's going to watch this? Who's watching these things? Okay. Uh, I assume it's mostly artists that want to come on next and they want to make sure that I'm not an asshole. That's all you need. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, uh, it took you fucking 35 people to get to me. Erica said your name 10 times. I said, no, no. No, it just, it's we okay. needed the right timing. We needed it's okay, it's fine. I know, I mean, I know I'm not really a street artist and I'm not- Oh, really no, it was timing with you. We loved you. It's okay. Well, it, all right, fine. I got to get to work anyway. And you saw the J-Core one with your, with your stuffed animal in it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah all right, brother. Of course I said that. Thanks. All right. Good luck, everybody. Thank you very much. We appreciate it and uh, keep doing yeah. what you're doing, brother. Hats off to you. <laughs>